Well, amen. Wasn't that good? Um, yeah, Dick has been in, in the church for quite a while. And one of the ways I got to, to know Dick Violet was uh, at one time, I used to go out to the East Campus and preach every Sunday. And so I, I would preach here, get in the car, go there and preach, come back here at 11 o'clock about this time, right after the, uh, the music was over. And so he drove me back and forth for a number of years. And so I, I really grew to appreciate him. Well, this morning, what we have is Baptism Sunday. And it's one, well, it is my favorite uh, service of the year because we get to see people's lives changed. We get to see people follow their Lord in believer's baptism. Now, we have been in a series of messages on the best news, and we've been teaching how to use this track in our adult Sunday school classes, and let me give you the best news. First of all, I've got to give you the bad news, and the bad news is the Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but that's not even the, the, the worst news. The worst news is we can't do anything about it. Once we fall below the line of perfection, there's nothing we can do to make it up ourselves. We need help. And that's the good news. The good news is Jesus Christ came to not only help us, but to save us, to rescue us. And his blood that we sang about just a few moments ago, he died on the cross for our sins. And the best news is it's all free. All we have to do is receive him, surrendering our heart to Jesus Christ. Now, in all that, I, I never mentioned baptism. Did you notice that? Because to get baptized, to add that on, would be like adding a work on to something. I have to go down, back in the New Testament times at least, down to the creek, down to the river, down to the lake. I've got to do something in order to help God save me a little bit. And so people have said, and they've asked me a rightful question, then why get baptized? If it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation at all, then why do it? Why bother with it? And there is a lot of confusion over baptism. I mean, after all, some pour, some sprinkle, some dunk, some baptize infants, some don't. We have a right to be confused. But whatever baptism means, we know that it were like, they, they were like bookends of Jesus' ministry. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. That began his ministry, and we'll look at that in just a moment. Then at the end of his ministry, the last thing he said to his disciples was, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So whatever it means, it, was, it had to be important. If Jesus started that way and he ended that way, and his last command to his disciples was to go and reach people for Christ, lead them to Christ, and to baptize them. So what does it mean? What does it really mean? Let's try to clear up somehow the, the whole idea of what baptism is really all about. And that's one of my goals today, just to simply clear up the confusion. But also one of my goals is, is that if you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, I want you to know that we can do something for you today that no other church in the world can do. That's right. We can baptize you today. You say, well, you know, I could go to any church probably and get baptized. Yeah, but you're not at any other church. You're here. So they can't do it. But we can. We can bring you into complete obedience to Jesus Christ this morning. At the end of this, this uh, message, not to make you feel a little, little threatened or anything like that, just to give you a warning, we're going to have 
a, an invitation like we had last week. We're going to ask you to come forward, stand here in front of me. I want to have a word of prayer with you. And then we're going to have, celebrate baptism with you. We already know that some people are going to get baptized today. And we already had, I don't know how many we had, it looked like about 15 or 20, maybe in the first hour, uh, follow the Lord and believe his baptism right out here. And that's usually uh, the lower crowd of the two. So you can join other people this morning. But I want to look at it. And as we do that, I want us to turn to Acts chapter two and look at a very controversial passage about baptism. One of the passages that really kind of confuses us a little bit. When, the, uh, when Jesus had ascended up into heaven, he told the disciples, he said, I want you to wait and the power of the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Well, they waited in the upper room for 100 and, uh, 120 of them were waiting there. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God came to, to live inside of them. And Peter stood up and began to preach the gospel. He preached the gospel of the fact that we need a Savior, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and the big message of the early church. And that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he began to preach that, and here's what happened to the crowd, verse 37 of chapter 2. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. What does that mean? That means they were under conviction. That They knew something was wrong with their life. They knew what Peter was preaching was the truth. And so they were cut to the heart. Wonderful way to put that. And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, I want you to notice the willing spirit here. There are people there that are gathered around. It was the day of Pentecost. It was a day of celebration uh, there where they were. Peter began to preach, and they recognized something of great truth here. Okay, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is not is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, that's us, Gentiles, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. That's what was happening here. They were being drawn by the Holy Spirit. They were being convicted by God's Spirit. And many words were bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, verse 41, those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So with that in this passage, we want to answer four questions to clear up the confusion. Number one, what is it? What is baptism? Second, I'll be, in fact, I'll be spending most of the message on that. And then, secondly, how do we do it? Thirdly, who gets baptized? Who are the candidates? And then lastly, when is the best time to do it? You could probably already answer that question. And so that's going to be kind of short. Let's look, first of all, what is baptism? Notice what it says here in verse 38. Peter said there's two requirements here, repent and be baptized. And it says in our English versions, for the forgiveness of sin. Now, this, there's a key word here, and, and that confuses us. And this little, little word, for. In the Greek, that is the word we transliterate, or uh, eos in the, in the English, Eos. It's a preposition. And if you look that word up in the Greek dictionary, you'll find about 17 different uh, words that can be used, just like we use in the English language, uh, one word for several different things. This can be one of 17 different things. For example, in the old wanted posters, you know, in the Western days, somebody be riding along with a horse and they see their picture up on a wanted poster, on a tree, nailed to a tree. Wanted for murder, Billy the Kid. 
Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that Billy the Kid, you wanted to find Billy the Kid because you wanted him to commit a murder for you? Or does it mean that he was already wanted because he had committed a murder? That's what we're talking about here. Now, it says for salvation, but of course that, again, would be a work. So why is it that we have the word for instead of say because, which is, I think, a better translation? Because you've been forgiven of your sins. Why is that? Well, by the time uh, our Bibles were beginning to be translated from the original Greek, not from Latin, but the original Greek to English in the 1500s, the church was already practicing baptism in a variety of ways and a variety for reasons. And so, therefore, a lot of them, particularly in the Church of England, because this King James Version, for example, the, you know, the first one that was so popular was translated in England and the Church of England was doing baptism for uh, repentance. That's the way it was simply just translated. But we know that can be translated in other ways. So we have one verse in the Bible, one verse that could mean that we have to get baptized in order to be saved, but it could mean something else. And if it means that we have to be baptized to get saved, then very few people in the early, early church had that, had that message. For example, John's gospel says this, but as many received him to them gave he the right to become the children of God. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nothing about baptism there. Most of the letters, in fact, almost virtually all the letters, including the book of Revelation, would not have the message to that church about having to be baptized. Now, this is the major doctrine of the Bible. The Bible is about one major character, Jesus Christ, and one main theme, and that is the salvation of mankind. If we were going to add baptism to it, it would be all throughout the scripture. It would be, God majors on the things that he majors on. But we have one verse that could mean several different things. So it's not just one passage. And again, if it were necessary, then most of the church didn't have it. So what does it mean? We see what does it mean, but what does it mean? Well, here's part of the confusion again. The word baptize, and we'll look at this a little bit closer in just a moment, really means to immerse. And so every time you see the word uh, baptize, uh, a baptizo in, in the uh, original uh, scripture, they would translate it to be, to be baptized in everything. So here's, here's the four different baptisms in the New Testament. Number one, John's baptism of repentance. If you remember, John came along and he said this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, look, what I'm doing for you is to baptize you, to prepare you for Jesus Christ to come. Now, we don't have John's baptism anymore because the Messiah, the Christ, has already come. He's already been here. No need to prepare for him again for his coming of the first time to die on the cross. The second baptism in the Bible is, in the New Testament, is Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. Now, obviously, it wasn't for repentance. Jesus had nothing to repent of. But notice what it says as, as he came down to the waters to be baptized by John. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. 
What does that mean to fulfill all righteousness? If we were to look at the life of Jesus and we had enough time this morning, we would find out that he, there's no record of any miracles he performed uh, up to this time. Matthew chapter 3. No ministry at all. He had been at home. He had been a carpenter, been taking care of his family. Now it was time to begin his ministry. To fulfill all righteousness means that Jesus was coming into the baptism waters to identify with you and me. To make his journey to the cross. It was his time of commitment as a human being to die on the cross for our sins. The moment he was raised up out of the water, the Bible says John saw the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And the Father from heaven said, behold, my son in whom I am well pleased. It was that time. Why was he pleased? Because now, not only is God coming down out of heaven that he commit to us, but now as a man, knowing that he would face suffering, knowing he would face much rejection, knowing he would face for the cross, made his journey, and the next three and a half years he would die on the cross, and at that point he was raised out of the water in order to commit to ministry for you. So he identified with you. That's what he had to do. Identify with mankind. But then there's a third baptism, and that is the baptism of the Spirit. That's what happens to us when we get saved. In fact, anything we do on the outside, anything church practices on the outside, really just hinges on this. It says in the scriptures, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. The very moment that you and I receive Jesus Christ into our heart, the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of our heart, and it simply uses the word immerse. You're immersed in the Spirit. He's in you, you're in Him. You are immersed, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, the fourth one is believer's baptism, and that's what the controversy is all about. And that's what the differing opinion, the confusion shouldn't be, say, controversy, but certainly confusion. That's what we're going to be doing today out into uh, these uh, baptismal waters right outside of these doors in just a few minutes. Believer's baptism. Acts 8.12 says, but when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And so this is water baptism. This is the water baptism. If you can just imagine, there's a grave level here. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. You were, you were raised. You, were, you died to the old way of life. That's the picture. Raised to walk in a new way of life. That means that you and I were dead to the old way of life, raised to walk in newness of life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Believer's baptism illustrates what's already gone on in your heart. That's key. So what does it mean? Why do we get baptized? I'll give you three reasons because there are really only three reasons in the Bible. This is an exhaustive list, all right? Number one, it's your testimony. That's what you did. Now, you and I, uh, in modern church, we have invitations. We're going to ask you to come forward in just a moment, take your stand for Christ, stand right here in front of me, and boldly stand up for what you believe. But in the New Testament times, they didn't really have altar calls. They didn't have anxious benches like they had back in the 18th and 19th century. You came forward, yes, but you came forward to enter the waters of baptism. That was your testimony. That's, that's how you shared with everyone else that you were very serious about your decision to follow Jesus Christ. Now, we, we maybe don't have them 
here necessarily, but in our last church in Atlanta, we had people that were refugees from Russia and Romania. They had escaped there it was during the communist times. They had escaped there, and they would tell me, he said, if you were in Russia, for example, and you said that you were a believer, you received Christ, you might get a little persecution, but not a whole lot. But once you were baptized and declared your faith, you could not even find a job, and you risk arrest. Chuck Colson said this, most Westerners, that's us, take baptism for granted, but many in the world, to many in the world, the act requires immense courage. In countries like Nepal, it once meant imprisonment. For the Soviet Union and Chinese believers, it was like signing your death warrant. You see, to the outside world, baptism means something. It, they, they're saying, you're saying to them, I really did receive the Lord. I really did. And I'm willing to do that publicly. Declare my faith. Make my faith public and let people know that I'm a Christian believer. Now, the, one of the reasons why baptism and salvation are so closely linked and sometimes overlapping a little bit is the Bible does teach that even though you don't have to get baptized to be saved, you need to be baptized in order to be in obedience to God. In fact, the Bible would teach that until you're ready to do the easy thing, it's doubtful you've done the hard thing. What's the easy thing? Well, at the end of the service, you walk out the door and uh, we have clothes for you. We have tubs for you, cameras for you. Take a picture. We have it all for you. You just go out there and along with maybe 20 or 30 other people, you get baptized. That sounds pretty easy. Sounds pretty easy. The hard thing is, is to humble yourself before the cross. Say, God, there's nothing I can do to save myself. I humble myself before you. I want to turn and worship you and worship you only as Jesus Christ becomes Lord of my life. That's the surrender is the hard thing. Why would you think that, oh, I, I'm not going to do the easy thing, but I've done the hard thing. Chances are, if you don't do the easy thing, you're not going to do the hard thing either. And so they always seem to run together in the scripture. You do something, you declare that, what you've done. And so... First of all, it's your testimony. Secondly, it is symbol, symbolic. It's not the main thing. We don't baptize just for the symbolism, but isn't it, isn't it good? I'm wearing a, a wedding ring. That This means I'm married. This is not my marriage, but it means that I'm married. It's a symbol of it. I mean, you could get married, and some of you have, Justice of the Peace. Uh, maybe you, maybe you, go out, you could go out to Vegas. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could go out to Vegas, and you can get an Elvis impersonator, to marry you. And they'll, he'll sign it and it'll be legal. But isn't it better to have a wedding where you invite your, you know, one, one of the less, less expensive weddings, I should say. So you have this wedding, you got the dresses and you got the tuxes maybe and the celebration, you invite everybody and you put on a nice wedding ring. Isn't that, isn't that more beautiful? It's a picture Again, the grave level, I'm buried with Christ like he was buried. I'm raised to walk in a new way of life. A picture of what God has done in our life. In fact, I, what I do a lot of times when I'm sharing uh, to, to children, I, I had a chance to share Christ with a child 
this past week. They asked about baptism. And I said, well, who, who is that on the wall? What do you think that, that on the wall is? So that's a picture of your grandchildren. And she said, no, that's your, what she said was, that's your grandchildren. And I said, well, you're close. That's not my grandchildren. That's a picture of my grandchildren. And that's the great thing about it. See, the, the, the original, my grandchildren, have to come before the picture, not the other way around. Now, it's a picture of what has gone on in our life. It's a beautiful picture. Lastly, maybe the most important thing to God, certainly, obedience. It's an act of obedience. The first thing that Christians did when they were saved was immediately be baptized as soon as they understood it and as soon as they were willing to do it. I shared a story with you last week. Kind of, I kind of stole my story from last week. I was going to tell it this week about uh, Mike, uh, Mike and Debbie uh, Haynes, uh, Pam's brother and uh, his wife. And they're witnessing to somebody in Walmart. And they, they ask him, would you like to receive Christ? And he drops to his knees on this hard floor. And they just sort of dropped to their knees with him. But he got up. Mike turned to him and said, I'm so proud of you. He said, people were just passing us by and doing, and yet we didn't ask you to get on your knees. In fact, we, we didn't even think about it. But wow, what a humble thing to do. And he said, wow, I, I'd be afraid to be ashamed of the Lord. Remember that story? I'd be afraid to be ashamed of the Lord. It's, it's an act of obedience to God. So, how are we to be baptized? Well, you have to look at that word, baptizo. Now, in the Greek, it's a very unusual thing for this to happen, rare in the Bible. But when people were translating from Greek to English, they'd actually use, they, they would use the English word to correlate with the Greek word. But they didn't do that with baptizo. What they did was transliterate the word. For example, beta in the Greek became B. Alpha became, I mean, A became alpha. So they went through that. And so that's how you pronounce the Greek word, baptizo. And then from that is baptism, Baptist, whatever. And so it's a transliteration of the word, not a translation. Why? Because again, by the time the the word of God was being translated into English, they were having baptisms in all kinds of different ways. And so how could they say this, that you have to be not baptized, but immersed? Because that's what the word means. It means to wash, to dip, to immerse. Mark 7, 3 says this, for the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they were baptized. No, they baptized their hands properly. That's the word wash, same Greek word. John 13, 26, Jesus answered, it is to whom I will give the morsel of bread when I have baptized it. Same word. And so for them to actually translate the word that it would have to take a doctrinal stand, which maybe would have cut out a lot of denominations. So they just used the word, they transliterated the word baptizo into something we can pronounce in the English. Now there was a background to this and this surprises some people, but in the intertestamental period from Mount, the book of Malachi, that's the last book of the Old Testament. There were 400 years until Jesus showed up to John, really John the Baptist showed up, about 400 years. We call that the intertestamental period. Now, prior to that, 
there was, there was nothing about baptism that was uh, ceremonial or there's nothing about baptism that was religious, nothing. But during that time, Judaism became pretty popular. It, w- it was popular because they, had, uh, they were monotheistic. They had one God and not many, many gods. And so there were five things that you had to do to become a Jew, Jewish person and Jewish faith. First of all, you had to be circumcised. Secondly, you had a covenant meal. Then you pledged to the law. Fourthly, you made an animal sacrifice pointing to the coming of Christ, the Messiah. Fifthly, there was a ceremonial washing where you washed yourself as though you were cleansing yourself of that old pagan life. First time baptizo was ever used for that. Now, John the Baptist, in his wisdom and God's wisdom, in order to translate what was happening in the New Testament, used the same word and the same concept for the baptism of repentance because he was speaking to a Jewish audience. He was saying, there's, there's a new day coming. There's a new faith coming. Jesus Christ is coming. The Messiah is coming. And so you need to be baptized in a ceremonial way. They weren't being washed anymore, but they were being washed, dipped, immersed in a symbolic ceremonial way. Now, when you think about it, when we want a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what kind of picture are we going to give of that? It's the only way that we can baptize that gives a true picture of our salvation. And you say, well, pictures aren't important. Well, pictures are important. Uh, For example, if I were to say to you, you know, I think I know your husband. Do you have a picture of him? You pull pull out your phone. You say, oh, I got one right here. And you show me a picture of a horse. And I say, your, your husband's a horse? I could have said dog. Your picture, your husband's a horse? Oh, no, but any picture will do, right? Doesn't matter. Any picture will do. Just a little sprinkling, a little pouring. What about sprinkling and pouring in the Bible? It's not there, okay? It, it's simply, I'm, I'm not, I'm, some of you were sprinkled as a baby and some of you have gone through sprinkling or pouring and the church was all behind that. I'm not talking today about the, the Baptist church, the Catholic church, the Methodist church. I'm just looking at clearing up the confusion through the word of God, that's all, all right? And sprinkling or pouring did not begin until about A.D. 250, about 150 years after the Bible was written. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, Wesleyan Church, was considered that at least, says no one was baptized any other way until any other way but immersion until A.D. 250. And sprinkling or pouring was not practiced until A.D. 1300. Buried with him alludes to baptizing by immersion, according to the custom of the first church. Martin Luther, of course, the father of reformers, I would have those who are to be baptized be entirely immersed as the word imparts and the mystery signifies. John Calvin, another reformer, the word baptize signifies to immerse. It is certain that the immersion was the practice of the ancient church. So I'm not trying to put down any church, any denomination, what you did as a child. Hey, you were were being obedient. Your parents were being obedient. We're talking about what happens to you in believer's baptism. Believer's baptism specifically as it comes from the Bible. And it always follows your salvation experience. So that brings me to the question, who can be baptized? 
You know, somebody says, well, I've never been saved before, but, you know, if it'll cover me, I'd like to be baptized. You missed the point. Who can be baptized? In Acts 8, it says they were coming along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, said to Philip, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? They got down out of the chariot, by the way, and he was baptized. So who can be baptized? Followers of Jesus Christ. Those who have received the Spirit baptism. That is, you have received Jesus Christ into your heart, into your life. You've been born again. Those people are the candidates for baptism, and those people ought to be baptized. They are following outwardly what has already happened within their heart. Uh, Last week, my wife Pam gave a video testimony of her assurance of salvation and how she doubted her salvation for a long time And when we're back in seminary, she nailed it down one last time. Well, a while later, she followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Now, was she saved when she was young? Saved when she was a a young adult? Well, you'll have to ask her. All she was thinking about, I need to be baptized on the right side of the cross. I need need to make sure, just like Dick Violet was saying, I just, I don't need to have those doubts. I need to be sure that I've I've been baptized in obedience to God after I have been saved. The reality happens and then the picture. Well, we had a lady this uh, first hour follow the Lord in believer's baptism. She came forward last week uh, during the assurance message and uh, she did have assurance of her salvation. She did. But Kevin, our senior adult pastor, just thought she was back there trying to help people. But she went over there. He went over there and said, what's, what's going on? She says, I'm not sure I've been baptized on the right side of the cross. Now, keep in mind, she is the oldest. Uh, she's been, I shouldn't say oldest. She's been a member here longer than any other person alive. And today she followed the Lord in believer's baptism by her own initiative. It had been bothering her for years. We need to do it on the right side of the cross. What about infants? What about that? Well, let me share with you, there is no instance in the Bible, none, where infants were baptized. Now, again, I'm not trying to put down anybody. I'm just saying it's not in the Bible. Not even one. Not one time. It's believed by most that never happened until A.D. 251. There are other people who practice that would say, oh, no, it was around AD 150. But that's still, what, 55, 54 years after the Bible was closed out? No one in the New Testament practiced that. Now, I know people practice it for different reasons, for a covenant and, and different things, and they add the baptism to it because it makes a better covenant. I know all that. But here we're talking about what the Bible says about believers' baptism. You were baptized in an infant. And you got saved later. There's no difference from that with somebody getting baptized as a six, seven, eight, nine year old and then getting saved at 15 and saying, you know, I was baptized on the wrong side of the cross. I need to be baptized today. Well, then, when do you get baptized as we close? When? Immediately. We find everywhere in the Bible, in fact, Acts 22 16 says, now why, why, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Every single time here. Verse 41 of chapter 2. So those who received his word 
That is, they were saved. They, it was a different way of saying receiving Christ. We received the truth, received his word, were baptized, and they were added that next week about 3,000. No, it doesn't say that. Next month. No, it doesn't say that. That day, they were added 3,000 souls. That day. The best time to obey God is right away. I remember um, all my children made a profession of faith when they were young. What was I concerned about as a pastor? What am I concerned about as your children as well? The main thing is, do they understand the gospel? Do they get it? Do they get the fact that God loves them? Do they understand that they're sinners and separated from God? They cannot do anything uh, uh, in themselves to save themselves. Do they understand why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross? I mean, really heart understanding. Once they get that, once they receive Christ, what do they need to understand about baptism? Oh, they need to understand all the, the symbolism, the wedding ring. No, they need to understand one thing. In order to obey God, you need to be baptized. That's all. They'll get the rest of it later if they don't get it now. It's a step. It's an act of obedience to God. We can do something for you today that no other church can do. You can stand up courageously. You say, well, I'm going to get my hair wet. You know, I'm going to have to um, change clothes. I'm going to have to postpone lunch. One of my favorite stories uh, comes from our friend Hayswicker, retired pastor now, just recently retired, South, South Florida. And uh, he told the story about when he was a young pastor in Texas. Now, in this church is a very old church, a very large church, but but very old. And so the baptistry was up like ours, but much higher. And so there's a lot of steps to climb going both ways. And so Hayes was in his robe and he had his waders on, you know, he's about ready to head up the steps. And he noticed just a few steps up was this man in his seventies carrying a breathing machine, trying to make it up those steps. In fact, it took him 45 minutes to make it up those steps. So Hayes went up the steps, several steps, and said, look, I'd love to help you with this. Can I do anything to, to help you? Can we, can we do something else, you know, or, or something? And he says, no. He said, if Jesus Christ can carry his cross to Calvary for me, then I can climb these steps for him. A sacrifice. Something to say, hey, I'm willing to get my hair wet. I'm willing for someone to think, hey, I thought you were saved. You know, for years, I, I can remember two years not coming forward in a service. Two years. Why? Well, I, I think everybody thinks I'm saved here. Uh, nobody was fooled, by the way. They all knew I was lost. But everybody thinks I'm saved. But a willingness to put yourself out there to obey God. How many of you would do that today? Let's stand together very quietly. And here's what I want you to do. Some of you here, never been saved. I want you to come forward right now. Some of you that have been saved, but you've never been baptized. I want you to come and stand right here before me. Start coming right now, even as I'm talking, all right? Come on, come on, on up here. That's right. Just come on right on up. Thank, thank you. God bless you. And then there's others here. You've been baptized on the wrong side of the cross. You know you've been baptized. You remember the time, but you know that that was an early childhood decision and you've been saved since. Isn't this great? All these people coming forward. Let's give them a round of applause.
others just keep on coming as I'm talking. Just keep on coming, all right? Don't wait for me to stop talking. I may talk all day. You come right now, all right? You just come on right down. Join us here in this great celebration of baptism, of people following the Lord in believers' baptism. Say, I've been baptized on the wrong side of the cross. Now's the time to be obedient to God. Several of you, just keep on coming. Let's give these round, just keep on clapping. Hey. Right now. Just keep on coming. I know there, I know there's more. I know that there's some that are kind of wrestling with it. Just let go. Let God control your life. Let God do something great in your life. You come right now. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to do something I did last week. I don't know if it helped you or not, but let me ask you this. Let me ask you, as these continue to come forward, you know, even as I'm talking, just keep coming. Um, heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, if you know for certain, beyond any doubt that you are saved, and if you were to die right now, you know you'd go to heaven. Raise your hand. Raise it up high. Well, that is great. What a testimony. That is a great testimony, but there's not, that's not all of you. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know for certain that you've been baptized by immersion, the way the Bible says, since you have been saved? And you know that. You know you're in obedience to God. Raise your hand. Raise your hand up high. All right? Not quite as many of you, but a lot of you. Then why not, why not today? Why not make that commitment today? Why not at least come and talk to somebody about that today? This is the best time. Look at all these people who are going to get baptized today. All the people that have been baptized before, you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to be by, by yourself today. So right now, you come. You come right now. That's right. God bless you. Just come on right, right on down the aisle. There's others over here to my right. Anybody over here to my left? Anybody from uh, the balcony? Anybody up there? Come on. I mean, it's not that long of a walk. You can do this for Jesus, right? Gonna wait just a few more, more moments and then we're gonna pray. Anybody else? Anybody else? God bless you, sir. God bless you. Anybody else? We don't want to leave anybody out. And some of you are just wrestling with this. I, I can sit, you know, on your face. You're wrestling. Should I, should I not? I, I don't know. You know, should I, am I joining the church? No, you're not. You've got to go through a Discover Cross Life lesson uh, on a Sunday morning for a couple of hours to join the church. So you're not, we're not even asking you to join. We're just asking you to get obedient to the Lord. That's right. Just keep on coming. Anyone else? Anyone else? Come on right down here in the front. God bless you, sir. What great courage. Anyone else? God, thank you so much for these that have come today. God, we're looking forward to a great celebration. It's going to be wonderful. And uh, we just look forward to it here in the next five minutes. It's going to start up and we just bless you for it. Please, you'll bless us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's give all these round of applause, all right? One more time. Isn't it great? Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.